0: Hello, you mindful mamas, and welcome back to another episode of the Enlightened Hood podcast, where I share real motherhood stories and empower the soul of the mother through mindfulness and spirituality. I'm your host, Lina Lemos. On today's episode, we are talking about something that is quite a sore spot for many of us, and that is money. How many times have you been scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and you see an ad for a mindset coach and it reads something like, last year I had $17 in my bank account and then I manifested $100,000. And yes, that is possible. But as mothers We kind of have mouths to feed and practical bills to pay, so the idea of manifesting $100,000 while possible isn't always practical. And I love this episode so much because I'm chatting with corporate finance attorney, podcaster, and speaker, Akoma Moranu, and she really helps us find a good balance between practical money conversations, managing money, and this abundance mindset and the dreaming and turning our big dreams into reality. And she helps us figure out how we can uncover these money stories to really shift our mindset from scarcity to abundance. And another thing she mentioned in this episode, which I never considered was that our kids have money personalities too. And how can we set them up for success When they might have a different money personality than we do. So a lot of wonderful things to consider in this episode. Again, money doesn't have to be triggering. Yes, it's hard as parents because we have practical human things that we need money for, like food and bills and a roof overhead and clothes for our ever-growing children. But we can approach money mindfully and from an abundance mindset and really shift the way we look at the way that flows through our life. So here's a coma. So let's talk about abundance mindset because you work a lot with finance, but I think the first part before tackling finance is our mindset around it.
1: Yeah. I, and I think that for a lot of people, personal finance is a li- really easy way to see where their scarcity mindset Lives <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that before you can truly be a like abundant in the things that you have and the things that you believe, you have to understand what you think and what you believe. And I think so many people want to separate kind of the mentality and the mindset work from personal finance work. right? They think of like personal finance work as like I take I look at how much money I make and then I allocate the money. And then I stress out because I don't have enough money. But meanwhile, I'm like this super enlightened person who believes in like abundance and you know the expansiveness of the universe and what I'm capable of. But then for some reason, they don't put the two together.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. But you're you're right because I think, I mean it's so hard when money is one of the most triggering causes of anxiety mm-hmm. and you can do all this self work. And you're right. It is interesting how we haven't done it for our abundance mindset. I, I feel like there's a couple of things that you can like, like no matter how much work
1: you, you've you done, there are a couple of triggers for everybody yeah. <laughs> that will really test like whether you've done the work, you know? And I think, Money is one of them. And often family can be another.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You know, you think that you're, you don't care what people think. You're very self assured in who you are and what you can do. And then you have a conversation with your mother or your mother in law or that cousin. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all of a sudden you're grinding your teeth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the same thing with money. Like people genuinely feel like confident, competent people. And then all of a sudden something as simple as balancing their checkbook and they're like, oh, no one taught me. I can't figure it out.
0: Yeah. And it's almost, we we put the money mindset on the back burner. So we kind of don't have to think about it and we don't have to face it and until it comes out to bite us.
1: Absolutely. And at the end of the day... <sighs> unfortunately or fortunately whatever your you know opinion on money may be money like food like sleep it's something that exists right like it's a currency that flows through our lives and so much like people who struggle with food issues around food it's not as easy as it scares me and it's triggering for me so I'm just not going to do it like that's I mean don't take this the wrong way but that's one of the things that's a little bit easier about alcoholism right Mm -hmm. is If you're an alcoholic, one of the solutions is to just not drink and not put yourself in situations where there is drinking, but you can't do that with food and you can't do that with money. Yeah. You have to figure it out and you have to develop a relationship with it that feels in alignment with the rest of your life.
0: Yeah. I think money is such a hard thing to tackle too, because yes, money is energy and yes, money is abundance, but we're having these human experiences where we need money to pay rent Mm -hmm. and we need money to buy food and we need money to clothe our children. So as mothers, I can see how it's ultimately very triggering.
1: Absolutely. And I think there's also this thing where we feel like as mothers, because we don't know it all, we don't feel like we are competent to make all the decisions Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and we kind of stay in our little sandbox. And I think that that, for me, it kind of breaks my heart because I think that there's so many mothers out there who do such a good job of managing their homes finances. But then when it comes to things like investing, they're like, no, and it almost becomes this like very, Masculine energy around something like investing or something like grocery shopping because it has a very feminine energy around it. Mm-hmm. But they're the same things, right? It's just understanding what comes in, what goes out, and like what the purpose of that dollar is, and having kind of the confidence around the currency of energy. And I don't know why. I don't know. How do you feel about the term investing? I guess.
0: Um. I feel I feel a little icky about it Mm -hmm. just because it's it's an unknown thing. Mm -hmm. And I think I was never taught about it, that's for sure. I mean, we (laughs) what we did silly exercises about it, I think in sixth grade math class. Or maybe that was the stock. I don't know. But yeah, I was never properly taught about it. It was never given to me in layman's terms. And it was never combined with an abundance mindset. Mm -hmm. It was combined more with the fear of if you don't invest, then you're not as worthy as someone who does. Mm Mm-hmm and then there's also fear around there's risk involved right like Mm -hmm. when you invest there's risk and
1: there's not there's only so much money out there in the market and you want to get in when the getting's good and you want to get out when there isn't money in the market and the reality is that money is abundant like we as humans create value and that's puts money into the system and like I was an adult I'm a person so I'm a corporate Attorney by day. I was started my practice working on Wall Street. So I was doing multi billion dollar deals for many, many years. And those were like numbers that were like beyond my grasp. Do you know what I mean? like, <laughs> like, I can't really even understand $1.5 billion. That makes and like, my brain I would hurt. have, yeah. And I would literally have days where I would close multiple billion dollars of deals. Me, like an immigrant from, overseas, like coming to the U.S. as a not, you know, showing up in New York City by myself, all of a sudden, this is what I'm doing. And I'm so lucky to have had that experience because it exposed me to the abundance of money and to the fact that there, that there are people who believe in that abundance and because they believe it's out there for their taking, they are getting the money. Mm-hmm. And then there are people for whom I think there is so much fear and scarcity. I mean, I'm sure that you had your parents had sayings at home growing up, yeah, about money, <laughs> yeah, um, and those have impacted your beliefs about money. uh one of them for me was my parents always said money doesn't grow on trees, yeah, which is like the most scarcity mindset in, <laughs> like. Could there be any more of a scarcity mindset around money? Because money almost literally grows on trees and that it's made of paper. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And like money almost literally grows on trees and that you could grow things out of trees that you would just then sell. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And this idea that there isn't enough money and that you have to work really, really hard to deserve money is such. To my mind, an immigrant's mindset. And it served me well. And I don't believe that you can just kind of like sit in your house and like meditate money into your life. I think there is an action involved in Mm -hmm. the exchange of energy. Like you have to do something and then money comes back. That something doesn't have to be hard necessarily, that something doesn't have to be quote unquote work, but you do something and you get money in exchange for that thing you did.
0: Right. There has to be an action for abundance. Correct. And kind of
1: what kind of do you recall what kind of things your parents used to tell you about money or what kind of
0: things you were um, raised believing about money? Yeah. So my husband and I have actually done a lot of work on this and we did a lot of self reflection this year because we did a whole kind of inner work before my daughter was born. And to me, I think my parents did a really good job about raising me without a lot of scars about money. Tell me more. We always did a lot of things within our means. Um, Money wasn't really talked about as that it was ever scarce. Money was never related with negativity or issues. And maybe that's because we really didn't talk about money, but... My parents also instilled that with hard work equals abundance equals then you can get the thing you want.
1: Mm. And so, because you're you and your husband, I know I'm not the guest. I'm not the guest here, but I <laughs> love hearing about as we talked about before. I love hearing about couples' stories and how they align their different mindsets. Something yeah. I'm very fascinated in because I think often we do this type of work individually and when it comes to money it is such a shared
0: yeah source it's it's been it has been one of the biggest things to tackle in our marriage because I also think with him that money is directly connected to Mm self-worth and I've seen him and a lot of people in my life say okay And this was especially true because he went back to school to be a student. So for the first five years of our relationship and into our marriage, he was a student and I was the one supporting us. So in his mind, it was, when I'm making money, I'll be happy. When I'm making money, I'll be blank. And I always had to remind him, why can't you just be happy now? Money is not going to create your happiness. And I see so much of that in my peer group that the idea that money is going to create happiness and happiness isn't going to occur till you get to a certain salary point. Ah, Love that. Yes,
1: absolutely. And I think you touched on such an important point there. And I think for so many men, they have been socialized to think that making money is part of their role in the family, right? Like Mm -hmm. part of their role as a man and justification for kind of their almost existence in the family structure, right? Because as women, especially women who have children, we we make the children. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like we physically make the children. And so what the man does is he provides for the children. Right. And that's you know, there's a balance to that. And obviously that's not how it has to be. You know, if you have two men in a relationship or two females in a relationship, you can create your own balance. And I think in some ways that is freeing for people because they get to decide yeah, who does what, whereas people come into these relationships with such expectations of what their role is going to be and how they're going to contribute to that family unit.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It- it's it's a hard thing to balance
1: and so now your husband works and does he does he control the money or do you guys manage money together
0: we manage it together and is that good energy for you guys it's good energy for me, but still, he still yeah. has some work to do. But I also think it's hard because again, we've we've done a lot of work, but it's still this just innate connection between worth and money. hmm
1: And there's so much work to do there, I think, for so many people where you really, really have to... Start at the beginning, right? Like, you have to start by uncovering your money stories. You have to understand what your beliefs are around money and then actively choose which ones you want to keep.
0: Yeah. And it's so hard because I think we don't even realize that what our money stories are. So, how do we Mm -hmm. even begin to uncover those? So, there's lots of different
1: ways. And I think the three ways that I have seen work best for people is one, you can just do Really free form journaling. If you're someone who already journals, that'll come more naturally to you. I think if you're somebody who's a little congested in that way, you'll just sit there and stare at the blank sheet of paper. <laughs> um, <laughs> another way to do it is to just track your money thoughts. So, for again, for people who already do some sort of tracking in their life, whether that's with their food or with their, um, you know, as a lawyer, I think of billable hours. So, <laughs> 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 if you're tracking your time. Uh, You can just go a week and every time you say something around money or you think something around money, just jot it down Um, and what was happening at the time. And then that way you can reflect on those types of events and kind of trace back those events back to a story and then do the journaling. And then the third one for someone who I think is probably the most congested around self awareness around money thoughts would be to you can download these like sheets basically and i can send you one if you're looking for one with money beliefs and you kind of just go through them and true or false just quickly intuitively does this make me feel like is this triggering for me and so things like money flows to me easily i can make more i can i will i can have more money than i've worked for Rich people are, you know, and like all these kinds of statements about money and then you kind of just react to them and that'll help give insights into where you feel really restricted around money.
0: I think it's once you unpack those beliefs, it's easier to be at least self-aware of them. But then I think the self-correcting step is also just as hard. Oh, absolutely.
1: I think there's a, so before you can go to self-correcting, I think usually there's like a self-forgiveness process that Mm -hmm. has to happen because so many of us hold a lot of like criticism, self-doubt, a lot of frustration with ourselves for bad decisions we've made in the past. Mm -hmm. Like the number of people who like, are frustrated with how many student loans they have, for example, because they feel like they didn't make an informed decision or they have credit card debt that they just didn't understand. And now they've gotten themselves in this position and they just really haven't forgiven themselves for doing it. And mm-hmm. so trying to deal with the debt itself triggers all these feelings of self loathing, you know, and disappointment and frustration in your own like inabilities. And so for me, I think before you try to fix the problem, you have to really forgive yourself for even having the problem.
0: That's a very important step. So what about someone who is like me and I'm done all the work and I have this abundance mindset, but then I have a partner and an equal counterpart who still is dealing with all this negativity surrounding money? Yes.
1: So one of the things that I really encourage people to do is to do like, For couples is to create what I call um, alignment opportunities. And so my husband and I do it very formally because of his personality type. So we did the work ourselves and through the work, we learned that he needs a lot of structure around money and around these conversations because it's very triggering for him. Mm -hmm. So he needs to feel prepared. He feels, he needs to know what to expect. For me, I can talk about money anytime. Like it's not triggering for me at all. Like you could ask me anything about my personal finances and I will share it with you. I am like wide open, you know what I mean? But for him, he grew up in a family where money was very, they didn't talk about it. Like he, and he feels a lot of anxiety around it. So for us, what that looks like, and again, you have to do the work to figure out what it looks like for you. So first when you have to figure out what each of you needs and then you create kind of the structure Around what works for the two of you. And so for us, we do these quarterly, what I call couples alignment retreats. And I prepare a whole agenda. (laughs) There's a whole workbook. You know, everything is pre-scheduled. He can do the pre-work. Like there's not gonna be like mystery. Like I'm like, these are our finance, this is our financial information. You can look at it beforehand. We're gonna talk through this. We're gonna talk about our goals. We're gonna figure out if our money the way we're saving and spending our money is aligned with what we think are our priorities, you know, and I make it very structured for him because otherwise he can't participate. Right. Like he is just not capable of um, coming into that conversation without doing pre-work. And so for you, if you have a husband who also feels very... Triggered by money, who has these issues around feeling like money and self worth are really tied together. I think having these types of conversations where you explore those topics in a safe way, I find, and again, this is slightly gendered, overly gendered, but I, I've, it plays out in the research for you know, whether it's socialized or natural, I don't know. But generally speaking, men are more open when being active. So you don't want to be having conversations around topics that can be overly triggering sitting across from each other Mm. because that can be really, even for another woman, like that can be slightly intimidating. There's something about, we like to do these things like when we're going to walk Mm -hmm. and we are not hikers. We're not really walkers. But during these couples retreat, we'll plan like a 90 minute walk. And during that 90 minute walk is when we'll have kind of these deep conversations about the things that we're worried about, the things that we're anxious about, where we're struggling with our own inner work and ask each other for the help we need in the next quarter of that year. And prior to that walk, you know, we will both do some individual journaling time, we'll do some individual reflection time so that we can both go into that walk kind of prepared to share and prepared to have a conversation about what's coming up for us.
0: Yeah, that sounds amazing and I'm going to have to implement that. <laughs> it, I think I agree that especially around money and something that's so triggering structures can be such a helpful thing and it kind of gives the idea that this is a safe space to talk about this. And during this time, we are going to be open and honest and raw and vulnerable for these triggers, but it's going to help us grow together.
1: I think it's also really important to separate time when you talk about the practicalities of money from the time when you talk about the feelings and the dreaming around money, Mm. because There is a tendency, I think, sometimes when we dream about money or when we have fears around money to pull in the practical. Yeah. Which then closes the conversation. Cause so, when you say, you know, I, it's like one of the things I always recommend that couples do is if you're thinking about buying a dream house, maybe you go to that dream neighborhood and you guys just park your car and you walk around and you just talk. Talk about what you see, talk about your dream life, talk about what it'd be like to live in that neighborhood, point out which houses you like. But do not get stuck in how would we afford it?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's not the point of that conversation, right? Like the point of that conversation is to learn more about each other, what your values are, what your priorities are, and kind of connect around those things. And then you can kind of pull it into the money part at that t- the t- at the time for
0: that. I think that's such great advice because... Definitely, especially who for a couple like myself who has two such different views around money that w- it's almost like I'm the dreamer and he's Mr. Practical. So having that honest dreaming conversation is a very hard thing to have.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's hard, probably, my I, we're very similar. <laughs> I'm also the dreamer <laughs> and my husband is also the practical one. And I realized that by being the dreamer all the time, I wasn't really creating space for him to be the dreamer he felt like he, like I was the balloon about to float off and he had yeah. to be the weight anchoring me to the ground. Yeah. And so by creating these spaces for us to dream together, and then these spaces for us to be practical together, it shared the burden and also gave him kind of the freedom to dream.
0: Yeah. I think that's important too. And something that us dreamers might not even realize that our partner needs.
1: I know, but we have so many big dreams, right? <laughs>
0: So hard to just keep them
1: all it is so hard it's, i i'm so bad cuz we all go, we will literally go out of town for these conversations and like i'm at the airport like you know like a puppy like waiting to be let out yeah <laughs> like i have so many things i want to say and, and i have to like wait because he needs it to happen in the spaces we've created like i can't just bombard him yeah cuz then i end up sucking
0: all of the like air and like out of the room for him. Mm -hmm. That's me after this podcast. I run upstairs and I just vomit about everything that I've learned and been inspired to share from this. And then I think me starting this platform has kind of given him that space to be a dreamer too. And he does the same thing now too. And we always joke that he walks into a room and starts tapping talking at me instead of giving the space to really sit down and be like, listen to my dreams. But I think we're, we're slowly getting to that place where I can share my dreams and he can share his dreams. But again, we're still working on the, having that practical time to sit down and say, okay, how could this really happen?
1: Yes. And so that's like the, and that's that's the really hard part that I think most people are missing, right? Like how do you turn dreams into plans? Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that's, I think of as my most sacred work. That's what I love to do. I love helping people turn their dreams into plans. And because I'm a money nerd, I love to dive into the numbers around it and really create a practical, actionable plan Around what it looks like to save for this goal, mm-hmm. what sacrifices are necessary and unnecessary, and like what are the levers you can pull? Because the reality is, if it's a three, five year goal, things are gonna change. You might have a child, you might move, you might change jobs. But once you know what the kind of path is, it's easier to make other decisions.
0: Yeah. What does that abundance mindset look like? In parallel with this type of plan, yes. So,
1: one of the things that I find is that for so many people, dreaming and dreaming big is so triggering to their to our lizard brain, right? Yeah, because it just elicits all of the fears, and it just gets the scarcity like flaring, and. And it c- requires active work to stay open and to really be both committed to a plan, but open to the idea that it's not going to actually go to plan. And that there's actually an, an abundant and like endless number of ways for you to get from here to there. Yeah. The purpose of the plan is not for you to stick to it diligently. The purpose of the plan is to help you move directionally because i think it's really hard to sit, to be sitting in new york and be trying to drive to california and say okay let's just go you're like yeah. okay well we, should we turn left like literally should i turn left or right down the- like i get that but if we just generally go west we'll get there but i still need you to tell me to turn left or right on this street right now mm-hmm. and but you don't want to get to that place where you get so, you're holding on so tightly to that plan that you miss opportunities and you miss like the potential for something bigger than what you have planned for yourself. And that's the reality. I think if you're open and you're truthful with yourself about what your dreams are and what you want to make of your life, it can be even bigger than your wildest dreams.
0: Yeah. Oh, that, that touches so close to home for me right now. Yeah, I think for me, I have, a, and I love so much that you said that because I've recognized that with this enlightenment journey that... I had this idea of what it was going to be, but it's manifesting into so much more, but it's also hard, so hard. And I know that so many other entrepreneurs feel this way and big dreamers feel this way that you have this vision of what it's going to be. And then you start talking to people about it. And those triggers come in because Mm -hmm. then they ask the question, but how are you going to make money? Hmm. and it instantly almost puts your ego back into that place of self-doubt and it's so hard to have this roadmap but also be open that the roadmap may not be exact and then also to share these dreams with other people it just becomes this very hard balancing act oh my gosh it's one of the hardest balancing acts it's
1: genuinely one of the hardest balancing (laughs) acts and and in this work there are so many of them right like you have to both visualize the future and be present and like mindful of like what you're doing now yeah you have to hold the big vision but you also have to do the work and there's so many of these like seemingly contradictory edicts and mantras that we're asked to embody Mm -hmm. and when it comes to abundance, especially around money, I think you have to believe that you can make the money. And to your point, it's triggering when people say things that are our deepest fears, right? Mm -hmm. Like when people say things that we're not actually afraid of, nothing happens. So it's not like all criticism bothers us. It's only criticism that we kind of sort of are worried is true.
0: Yeah, that's completely accurate. And so
1: that's... I think a good opportunity to do more work around it. right? Like Obviously that was triggering because you'd still hold a fear that that's not true. And the work you want to do is you want to put yourself in a position that one day when someone says, how are you going to make money? You are so clear in your mind and in your heart that this, what you are doing creates value and that there is a path to profit for you, but that's no longer triggering.
0: Mm -hmm. We live in an amazing age where you can create your own reality and your own abundance and that the typical social structures of the nine to five job is being broken down by these entrepreneurs who are taking advantage. Taking advantage of all these technological advances and being able to connect with people all around the world. So it's a time of great opportunity. But I think, like you said, it's just still so important to have that roadmap and to have that abundance mindset in order to be successful. Yes.
1: And so many people play small. And when you, the problem with playing small, especially with your dreams, is that when you fall short, of your smaller version of your dream, it's even more disappointing, yeah, I think if you dream of being you know a, of having ten million dollars in the bank and you end up with two million, you're still pretty happy. If you secretly want ten million dollars in your bank, but you say you want to make six figures and then you only make seventy five thousand like you're so far, yeah, from where you you're you secretly want to be that I think it's almost, and I know the. I know what people think at that point. I know so many people are like, "Well, good thing I didn't go for the ten because if I'd gone for the ten, I would be even more disappointed
0: now." Good thing I only went for the six figures, you know. What yeah. I mean? And thus, the vicious cycle continues.
1: Correct, exactly. <laughs> it's. I mean to say, there's a lot of work to be done <laughs> on our mindsets, and. I 100% was one of those people who was like, if I don't have high expectations, I won't be disappointed.
0: That's such an important thing to recognize in yourself because I think so many of us do play small because we don't want to let ourselves down. And facing facing failure is such a hard thing.
1: But the secret is that we are actually letting ourselves down already by not believing in our own dreams. Yeah.
0: And we're cutting we're we're giving into the scarcity mindset.
1: Exactly.
0: And so we fear failure,
1: but by not doing anything, you're guaranteeing failure. Like you're definitely not gonna reach your dreams if you do nothing. Yeah. (laughs) If you don't even speak them out loud, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me as a parent and as a mother. I genuinely want my kids to believe that anything is possible and that if they truly believe it and they go after it, they can live the biggest version of their lives. And that's all that I want for them.
0: Mm -hmm. But we have to lead the way. It's... And it's hard. It's
1: not an easy thing. And and, you know, you come on a podcast and you get to talk about it and it's like super fun to talk about, but it is, it, it does, it is a a form of work and it isn't a daily commitment to yourself and to modeling that lifestyle and modeling that mindset. And, you know, we have now that our kids are a little bit there, they will be six and four this fall probably right around this time the podcast comes out, it's their birthday. So they'll have just turned six and four. And we've started to bring them in on these conversations and to really include them and to make sure that they understand that, you know, they are an agent in their life. And whether they want to have they want for very little or they want a lot, which is turning out to be the case, one of them is definitely the type already who likes stuff. He's not He's willing to do the work to make more money to have more stuff. Mm. Whereas the other one is very like carefree. He could own one pair of shorts, live in that if he only has to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like he wants, he doesn't want to buy stuff because he doesn't want to clean his room. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. And and I appreciate that they both already know that about themselves.
0: Yeah, that's amazing.
1: Um, And it's through a lot of conversation and a lot of listening on our part and like kind of prodding them to kind of understand what their money mindset is. And the real, and to my surprise, (laughs) there's a lot of things about parenthood that have surprised me. This being one of them, (laughs) our kids have their own money personalities, you know, and they're very different from me and my husband's. And, you know, I don't know that they're influenced by us, but I think they're influenced by things that have nothing to do
0: with us. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. And then you have to, it's a balancing act of all of those exactly. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yes, exactly. And it's so interesting
1: because we kind of assume that sometimes that our kids are just little versions of ourselves, right? And that they're like, can be molded to anything that we want, especially when they're really little the way mine are. But if you kind of listen and you ask the right questions and you kind of give them the space for self-discovery, you'll learn so much more about them and yourself and what's triggering for you. Like it is very triggering for me as someone who doesn't love stuff, that my son loves stuff.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like I feel like it's materialistic. I feel that it's shallow. You know, I have all these like, I'm very environmentally conscious. So like I really try to move him away from buying things that are plastic. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But- but he's his own person that's the thing and all i can do is try to influence him and teach him but i can't make him be anything
0: yeah i think that's something very important to recognize that we can't because then if you do the repercussions down the road is again the vicious cycle of <laughs> the money mindset and and it also makes me realize that that's where i have i have work to do around scarcity
1: right like i feel like He has too much stuff, or that there is such a thing as too much stuff. If he isn't like hurting anybody, if he can afford the stuff, if he's a kind person, I mean, my son donates, he like has charitable organizations that he, and he's six. Like, how much can I expect him to do? But he like (laughs) donates all his old stuff. He like keeps his stuff clean. So it's not like he doesn't appreciate his stuff, or it's not like he's not willing to work for it. So, like, why do I want to impose on him kind of a scarcity around ownership? Right. And well, especially when he's being responsible with it. Exactly. Is he a Libra? He is. We're all Libras. All four of us are Libras. We're all born within two weeks of each other.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, because Libras stereotypically like very pretty things. They like stuff. Interesting. So it's interesting how
1: that plays out so differently for all three of all four of us, because I would say me and my youngest are probably more like we want to spend more on less things. Mm. Like I want very nice, like I have a capsule wardrobe, like I'd rather have one chair in my whole house that I love. (laughs) than like. I'm the same way. And it's like impractical, but I would love the heck out of that chair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Whereas my husband is that way around technology. And I think that that might be slightly male. I'm not, I can't tell. He loves new technology. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care so much about clothes. He doesn't care about cars. He does, but his phone, his new laptop, his like, you know, all of that stuff he like treasures. And then my youngest, he is the nature, I I don't know, we have chickens and he could like live out with the chickens if we (laughs) let him. He's just a wild animal. Um, But he like tends a garden, like he loves a garden. He loves flowers. He loves cooking. Um, So it's very interesting how each of us makes a home and what we think makes a home home homey.
0: Yeah, that's that's fascinating that it's, there's so many different things at play there. I can't wait to see how my daughter grows into herself and what her idea of home is. It's such a fun journey. I mean, I'm only
1: six years in and it's I couldn't adore motherhood more than I do. <laughs> my heart would explode if I like, it's, I'm very, very lucky. Mm.
0: I love so much that you said that. I think even with the abundance mindset of motherhood, sometimes we forget how much we have. I mean,
1: I, I've been so lucky in my journey as I'm I'm like going to start crying. (laughs) I've just been, I, I have been so blessed in my journey and I don't, sometimes I almost feel guilty about it because I know that other people do struggle and I know that I've had it like my kids always slept really well. They were born very healthy. Like we've never had, like, I had never had issues with nursing. I nursed each of them for over two years. Like I had really good maternity leave. Like I just was really supported by all my coworkers. Like people don't have that experience, especially not in America that often. Mm-hmm. And I am so blessed to have had it that I almost um it almost hurts my heart. And I want more people to have it, you know. And part of the reason that we're have transitioned to do the work that we're doing to help couples align their goals with their money is because we want to, people to have that kind of magical experience around the things that are important to them mm-hmm. whether it is having a family whether it's buying that first home whether it's starting that business whether it's taking that dream vacation whether it's taking you know you want to build an RV and drive around the US for a year like i don't care what your dream is as a couple, I know you have them and I know you're worried you can't afford them. <laughs> yeah. And I think you can, you know what I mean? And I think that with a little bit of focus and a little bit of intentionality that anybody can afford their dreams, but for, you know, you just have to commit to dreaming, planning, then doing.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. So you kind of already went there, but I like to end this podcast of just words of encouragement for someone out there who needs to hear this today. So what are your words of wins? Let me try that again. What are your words of wisdom for abundance and finding abundance in your life today and just where to start? So for someone who needs to hear it and who's kind of
1: struggling around scarcity, I would say that you are more capable than you could possibly imagine and the resources are out there for you to achieve everything that you want to achieve in your life. But the very first step that you need to take and the hardest step to take is to decide to believe in your own dreams. So I encourage you to spend some time with yourself and spend some time making that decision.
0: Thank you for listening to the Enlightenhood Podcast, a movement that empowers mindful motherhood and celebrates every journey. If you would like to be part of our community of amazing and soulful women, find us on Instagram at Enlightenhood. For real motherhood stories and inspirational articles, you can check us out online at enlightenhood.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, you mindful mamas.